Good morning. This is Around Town with Amy Brown. I hope you all have your power back on and let's all keep our fingers crossed for tomorrow. The mission of the Maine Monitor is, quote, to deliver fearless, independent, citizen-supported, nonpartisan journalism that informs Mainers about the issues impacting our state and inspires them to take action. Through investigative and in-depth stories, we engage readers to participate and connect to create a better Maine, end quote. They are operated by the Maine Center for Public Interest Reporting, a nonprofit organization. And even if you haven't been to their website, themainmonitor.org, you likely have read their work in newspapers and online because they share their work with other outlets free of charge. From time to time on Around Town, we like to check in with them and their investigative reporters to see what they're working on. My name is Emmett Gartner. I've been a reporter for the Maine Monitor since July 2023. Colleague Emily Bader and I looked into how Maine police agencies conduct what are called welfare checks, especially welfare checks that have a relation to mental health. And basically those are when police officers are called to someone's house or called in response to an incident and asked to check on the well-being of someone. And we became especially interested after it was revealed that the Sagatawk County Sheriff's Office made two attempts to conduct those welfare checks on Robert Card a month before he carried out the deadly shooting in Lewiston. And we became interested in specifically what policies or protocols coincide with police officers carrying out these mental health checks because the Sagatawk Sheriff's Office conducted two, neither of which were successful in contacting CARD. So we wanted to look across the state to see if there's any structure or any policies that help officers or guide officer response to these calls. We contacted over a dozen heads of Maine law enforcement agencies. We spoke with the state public safety office just to get an understanding of what those policies are. And that kind of led us to our next investigation, which looked more into what training police officers receive when they're on these calls, responding to checks, especially ones that have mental welfare component to them, whether someone's experiencing some sort of mental health crisis and how police are trained to respond to those mental health crises. And for that, we also spoke with number of department heads and also mental health clinicians who lead programs across the state for training police officers and in general responding to mental health calls. My name is Emily Bader. I cover healthcare for the main monitor. We came away with two main conclusions, which were the basis for these two stories. The first on, on welfare checks, we basically found that there is a lack of protocols for law enforcement officers when they go out on one of these calls. And what we heard from officials in law enforcement was that these calls just have such a wide range of possibilities that it's hard to write down a protocol for any of them. But what that ends up leading to is that faced with these sorts of situations, officers might go down a mental checklist that they've developed from their training and their years of experience. But Ultimately, as we saw in the case with Robert Card, there's there's no steps that they're supposed to take. And that can lead to a variety of situations. And as one person told us, as the Cumberland County Sheriff told us, you know, what's due diligence? He asked if, if, it, if it was 100 attempts to try and reach someone, should it have been 101. So that was our, our first story. And then 
from there, it became very clear as we learned more about what protective custody is and then the yellow flag process, otherwise known as a weapons restriction order, we became increasingly aware that law enforcement officers were being asked to make clinical-like decisions. Protective custody, which is the first step for a weapons restriction order, involves an officer deciding whether a person poses a threat to themselves or others. And what we found looking into that was that law enforcement officials said they received some training for mental health, but it really lags behind the reality. There is some training that is required by the main criminal justice academy, but it really pales in comparison to both the reality and then the years of training and experience of a mental health professional like a licensed clinical social worker. And what they said was beyond these minimum requirements, they really lack the budgets and the staffing to go beyond that, to find additional training for their officers. The first thing we found really was that with a statewide and really nationwide shortage of mental health workers, police are becoming the de facto first responders when people are in a mental health crisis. And despite this fact, the required training that they get in mental health has not caught up to the reality. That was Emily Bader and Emmett Gartner of The Main Monitor, and they did a really good job of trying to summarize two really in-depth articles in five minutes or less. But if you're interested in this topic, they, they did do a deep dive, and you can read the articles and get a lot more information at themainmonitor.org. For Around Town, I'm Amy Brown. You can reach me at news at weru.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on Monday.